0: Professor Alec Ryrie is the guest today. He's a professor at Gresham College and he shares with us his knowledge on history, belief and thought and why we have potentially got the beliefs and the situations that we have today here in the 21st century. What I really like about Professor Irie is his ability to distill wisdom in a really clear way and also to highlight and help us understand the different ways that we have formulated beliefs in the past and how those beliefs in the past have affected us today. So for instance in this episode we look at the idea of atheism and how that has changed over the years, what atheism originally meant especially with the Greek philosophers and what it means today for us because they aren't the same thing. Sure, they're similar, but they're not exactly the same, and as words change their meaning, it becomes more and more important to be able to reflect upon why and how they've shifted their opinion. What I'm really proud about this episode is Professor Ryrie shares with us where he thinks the story is going, which is really rare for a historian to do. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to When Belief Dies, a podcast honestly reflecting on faith, religion and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination. And I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam, and today I'm joined by Professor Alec Ryrie. Professor Ryrie, it's fantastic to have you on the podcast. It's Great to be with you, Sam. Um, so I have been wanting to speak to you for a little while now because um, I've been finding your your video lectures on YouTube fascinating. Um, your kind of vision and view of history and belief, especially kind of atheism, um, is something that is very very unique and different. And um, I kind of wanted to dive into that, but I thought first what would be really helpful for the listener, if it's if it's okay with you, Alec, is just to kind of give us kind of a, a, a summary of your story and your journey and, and where you are today, if that's if that's possible
1: of my, my personal story, journey.
0: Yeah, that's okay.
1: Um, sure. Well, um, I mean, I was um, born and raised in, you know, I was born in 1971 um, and, you know, raised in a family with, which was a kind of like sort of normal secular British family of the, of the time. Um, my father who, died nine years ago was um quite a a, a confirmed and convinced atheist. my mother's position has always been much more kind of agnostic and uncertain um and so i I, and i was brought up with a sense of this is this is you know something that you're gonna have to decide for yourself but the one thing my dad always made made very clear was this is a big issue you know, this is not something that you can afford to, to, to duck or ignore. Um, his father had been a, a Church of Scotland missionary. So, you know, it's, 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 it's in the blood, as it were. Um, and I had a, a, what I now know to be a fairly kind of standard, almost routine, kind of evangelical conversion experience when I was, when I was 18 years old. Of course it didn't seem standard and routine at the time you know these, these, these things these things don't um you know turns your life upside down uh and i processed through that and found myself in uh i i've, I've what now seems to me but then it would wouldn't it um uh a, slightly more um, kind of mature and considered and sophisticated form of, of faith, but I, I was and remain a believing Christian. Um, and there was a brief period when I thought I was going to pursue um, Anglican ordination. Um, I mercifully escaped from that fate, um, uh, but I've I, I was licensed as an Anglican reader, a lay preacher, um, what in 1997, um, and so I've been doing that for for a number of years now, um, and continue to to minister in our um, little parish church here in in um, rural Northumberland. Um, and in the meantime, um, became a historian of of, of Christianity. Taught in the history department for a while, then uh, what? Fifteen years ago, uh, got a job teaching um, in the theology and religion department at, at Durham, which was a, a was a, a good and interesting move because I got to carry on doing all the history stuff, but to have this whole other set of conversations as well. So, yeah, that's that's yeah, in a nutshell um, how I how I got to where I am.
0: It's incredible. It's a, it's a great story. I think, um, yeah, having, having these experiences and then, and then seeing your life completely change is something I can definitely relate to in the other way. Currently. Um, this is, I always say to, to my listeners, this is a journey, it's not a destination and it's all about hearing people's stories and just reflecting on those. So no, it's, it's fantastic to have you, have you with us and sharing that. And I guess kind of, um, it'd be it'd be really interesting just to kind of touch on before we kind of jump into the history of religion and belief and atheism um kind of how do how does your faith and 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 it and your work come together then how do you kind of combine those two elements of your life is it is it something that you keep separate or do you actually very much view them as as, as compatible um well I, I i view
1: them as as compatible um because i i try to be a, a kind of single reasonably coherent human being um sometimes more successfully than others. Um, but there is an important distinction um you know in that as a as a historian, um, you know, my my job is to try and work out what actually happened rather than what I would like to have happened or what I think should have happened. Um and you know you're you're dependent on looking for evidence and finding stuff that, that may not fit your, your preconceptions. Otherwise, there's no point. Um, so to some extent, you know, you, you you take a step back. And it always seemed to me that one of the main things that that you need to do as a historian, probably a historian of any subject, but especially as a historian of religion, is to be able imaginatively to put yourself in other people's places it to, to get a sense of looking at the world through the eyes of a different era mm. and seeing what faith or whatever else you might be talking about meant to to those people and i, I it seems to me that being able you know making that effort is, 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 is hugely important um, and i I take a, a a degree of pleasure in the fact that I know sometimes my students and others who've listened to the to to my lectures will listen to me talking about a particular religious position in the past and and you know trying to inhabit it and show people what it looks like from that perspective um and people will sometimes assume oh okay this is obviously um you know where 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 he's coming from he's a he's a roman catholic he's a he's an a, a, a range of different views put on me, and i i I, I kind of like that it, 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 it seems to me that if as a historian my uh, you know, that my, the identity'm I'm, I'm adopting isn't all that clear, then I'm kind of doing my job uh, that said, probably the the best answer to your to your question of how do they interact is that I think it's possible. And you've got to be really careful about this. But it, it, I mean, if you're careful, it can work to use your own faith and and experience as a way of of interrogating the past. So I mean, I I I wrote a book, and this is really what got me thinking about the history of atheism in the first place. Doing this this book that I did eight years ago, um, which was about practices of prayer in the Reformation era. Um, and you know i'm i'm not kind of crudely analogizing between modern christian experiences and the kind of things that 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 i've come across and the experiences of folk in the in the 16th and 17th century but i think there are real parallels and it's possible to use your own experience sympathetically to to understand what's happening in in other eras or in 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 other people got to be really careful doing that and there's a there's a trade-off you know that what you gain in insight you lose in objectivity um and the the business of being a historian is partly just kind of working out how to how to manage that that trade um i think it's worth it
0: love that. That's really cool. And I was I was definitely um taken aback a few times in some of the videos that I've watched from you, um, in genuinely thinking, does this guy believe in God? Because the way he's talking about Christianity or or how he's how he's saying things sounds so non-Christian. Um it was it was fascinating. I think that's that's something that I really, really admire is is the ability for people to put themselves into like, into a world view as, as much as that's possible and actually go, what was this like? And you're absolutely right. Like we can't, we can't pluck ourselves out and put ourselves back 400, 500, 600 years. Um, all any of us can do is try and imagine what that was like and, and try and reenact that within ourselves. But um, we're never going to get that perfectly. But I think, yeah, I was, I was really taken aback by that, um, which is a fantastic thing to be able to do.
1: I mean, doing it with somebody who's been dead for 500 years is is harder. Apart from anything else, they can't tell you when you get it wrong. Um, but it's fundamentally no different from just talking to another human being who's sat in front of you. You're you're trying imaginatively to see things from someone else's perspective, which is really hard. You know, none of us are very good. at um, do, Doing it at a few centuries' distance is is another another step of difficulty. But it's it's basically the same thing. Just learning how to listen to.
0: Yeah, I love it. That's great. Okay. And I think it'd be really cool then to kind of um, move into talking about um, belief and history and how things have shifted and changed. Because I think how you explain atheism, um, you know, I don't know how many years ago, but a, a fair a fair amount of time ago and how it's changed and adapted and, and moved and how belief has shifted with it um, was really, really fascinating. So I wonder if you can give us kind of a few minutes, kind of overview, um, if that's possible, and we can maybe pick up points as we go along. Sure.
1: Um, well, I mean, the reason I, I got into this is that, you know, there is, I think, a sort of standard narrative of where our modern secular condition, the world in which no God seems like the kind of obvious default position for, for, for most people most of the time, that we, we've got, a, I think, a fairly standard story of where that came from which was that you you've got this bunch of 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 big thinkers of philosophers and scientists who start questioning uh, an age of faith that there had been before and if you're going to date this it's something that it, it basically centers around the enlightenment so kind of mid 17th century onwards um and you, so you, you can have a, a, a series of big-name philosophers around this, um, Spinoza, Hume, and so forth, but science as well. Darwin, obviously, right in the center of this. Um, and you you reach a point, you know, we collectively reach a point, where we say we don't need God in order to explain stuff anymore, and so just just gets, gets jettisoned. Um, you know. Okay, the trouble is I I don't think it works. I don't think that as a story fits the it doesn't fit the chronology if we look at, at the the story of 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 how it is that our relationship with belief in the in the western world has changed um you know I mean the, the 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 really dramatic crash happens during the course of the 20th century. Um and whereas all the Big philosophical and scientific developments have already happened by then, and are long since baked in. And maybe that's just because people are slow catching up, but that's, that seems a, a bit problematic as a as an explanation. So I don't think, I don't think the chronology works. And more fundamentally, I just don't think that's how people make our decisions. Um, I don't think most believers or unbelievers reach their convictions about the world based on a, on a process of philosophical or scientific inquiry that you kind of sit down with an open mind and then, huh. you know, read your way through the textbooks and eventually think, hmm, OK, probably no God or whatever conclusion it might be. That's just not how we do it. Um, and I guess as a historian of religion, I'm used to the idea that people make decisions for faith in a a more kind of intuitive way. Um, I mean, in the subtitle of my book, I use the word emotional, which is, I I, I always need to be a little bit careful with because I don't want to suggest that this means these decisions are irrational um, because I think our emotions are rational. They include reason, but reason in a, a broader sense than just kind of calculation um, we are you know we we reason in this yeah emotionally complex intuitive way um, and we sometimes, if we're that kind of person then come along afterwards and 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 work out a rationalization to explain to ourselves in kind of d- traditionally logical terms, why we have got to where we are. But we shouldn't mistake those sorts of of rationalizations for our real reasons. Um, So, I mean, as a historian, I got to be interested in trying to think about, you know, what I can see the the rationalizations that people are putting forward to explain the decisions they've made, but I want to know what the real reasons are. What's, what is actually the, 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 the logic that's driving? And that, it strikes me, has to be an, an, an emotional or an intuitive story. Um, I think the reason that we, that our, our modern age has become so secular is not that there's been some knockdown intellectual argument against religion developed because really those arguments haven't changed much over the past two three hundred years or more i mean most of the classic arguments for atheism were being made in the ancient world um but arguments that once felt trivial and, and 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 meaningless now feel that they've got tremendous force to them and it's the difference in how we feel these that 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 i really became intrigued by which is partly why i then um wrote a book telling the story in a in a in a different way with a different time frame um because i was thinking well maybe if instead of you know the philosophers having developed these arguments and therefore people stop believing maybe it's people wanted to stop believing and therefore they found the arguments that they needed to, to, to justify it. Because you know, I think we all know that anybody who needs a philosophy badly enough is, is gonna find one. Um, and so that set me off looking for what might the emotional roots of, of unbelief be. And I think that's a much longer and deeper story than this classic, one dominated by a few big name
0: blacks yeah that's huge i think what i find really interesting as you've as you've mentioned and alluded to just there is this idea that you know the ancient greeks had not atheism as we might say it today but had this unbelief this question of is god real is he there or are they there mm-hmm. how do we interact with them what, what does it mean to have this sort of being that is above humanity and humanity's down here and i'll be serving them or are they there to protect us or judging us and this is a a fascinating Mm. kind of um uh kind of quest essentially to try and understand what or who is god or the gods and what and who are we as people in relation to these beings or being depending on you know single or multi-gods um essentially um so i guess kind of is it I mean, I know many atheists who will kind of talk about this this idea that doubt isn't isn't a new thing. There've been people in any kind of culture at any point who have doubted the 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 religious narratives of that day and age. Um, But this sounds like it's 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 deeper than that. This sounds like there is um that there is there has been there has been this doubt that has always been there. But actually, the arguments have kind of come about, and over time, we've felt more attuned to these set of arguments rather than attuned to maybe the religious arguments or narratives that we've had so is it just a case of us switching the key in life like we've gone from like an a minor to a b minor because we now think that god isn't real or is it just a case that um actually things have progressed and we are moving on like where where, where do you think this all goes um the the idea of progress
1: in this is one that i'm really wary of okay yeah um because then i think you're you're straight back into that kind of enlightenment mythology of you know onwards and upwards um which i, I mean i think which is, is is fundamentally a kind of deracinated religious idea um uh, which you know is, is, is the sort of thing that john gray would call the religion of humanism and i don't see as defensible really from any point of view um you know, if you, if you if you want to adopt that kind of direction of history thing, that I kind of think you need a theistic framework to do it. Um, so, what what I would want to say is that this this is about the different kind of emotional moods of different ages and different cultures. Um, so rather than being a kind of directional process, and I, a lot of the modern, of, of the classic narrative of secularism, which I'm kind of pushing back against, says you know there's there's something deep and inevitable about the way that that modern society has sloughed off religion, um, which I think from a kind of world historical point of view is is kind of difficult to sustain. Um, you know this the 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 planet at the moment does not look like this kind of collective sloughing off of religion is going very well. Um, you know, the, the, um, and this story of, of secularism that we used to think is a kind of universal story, um, the whole world moving in this in this direction, starts to look much more like a kind of culturally specific thing happening in um in in europe and in a different way in north america i actually i think the european and american stories are more similar than we sometimes think but you know it's 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 a sort of north atlantic phenomenon it's quite quite local it's quite specific and i think it's a specifically post-christian phenomenon um you know these are these are societies that are still coming out of a certain kind of experience of christianity and and, and are, are still kind of on the rebound from from that um which amongst other things means i think that our our modern secular condition is a lot less stable than than it looks um, which is not to say i know what's going to replace it um but it would be surprising if it were able to endure in in the state of the in at the moment. We can come back to that if you if 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 you like. Um, but so the 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 story that that I found myself telling is one in which, yeah, I mean, there's, there's doubt of various kinds has been a a, a constant feature of, of 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 religious experience, and it, it you know you you can look into virtually any religious narrative, and you will find the response to doubt being an element of it. You know, it's, it's, it's right the way through, through the Bible and, and, and through the, the Christian experience, encounters with doubt of one kind or another. Um, atheism, in the narrow sense that we use that word nowadays, in other words, the, the postulation that there is no God, or that there are no gods, That's that's quite a hardcore form of 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 doubt. Um, It does exist in most Christian eras. I mean, I'm a historian of Europe, so that's the the world that I can talk about with some with 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 some sense of of being able to know what I'm talking about. Um, You you find people throughout the 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 history of christianity saying things like oh there's no god um you don't find them advancing well worked out philosophical justifications this tends to be the kind of thing that people say you know when they're drunk um maybe because then they're not so careful about watching their mouth um but just because people can't articulate the reasons for it doesn't mean that we shouldn't take it seriously when they do but i also think that it's useful to broaden out our sense of doubt beyond just that postulating that there is no no god um i mean many of the ancient skeptics the um you know the epicureans and 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 so forth would have said yeah no there's a there's, there's there's a god um and many of them would would be monotheistic um compared to the culture that's around them but but a god who is you know a, a simply um simply serves an explanatory function for the existence of the of the world a, a, a deist god who's um you know who, who who has no interest in and does not interact with his creation if you can in his agenda um, and whether or not there's a god like that seems to me a quite like like the of the, the quantum physicists question of whether or not there are there, there are infinite parallel universes you know it, it's interesting in the abstract but it makes no difference to, to 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 human life um the the origins of the word atheist and of course you know that that itself comes out of of, of ancient greece doesn't mean somebody who postulates that there is no god it means godless some um a, a you know, John Gray again has this, this line that um, someone who has no use for the idea of God is in effect an atheist. And I, that, that seems to me a really useful way of, 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 of thinking about it. Um, atheism as a, as a historical phenomenon, as something that actually affects people's lives that matters to them rather than, than simply as a, as a piece of metaphysical speculation.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, and I guess it'd be it'd be really interesting to kind of hear. Obviously, from all your research and your lectures and your books and things, you you have experienced Christianity in both a positive and and a negative light. Like Christianity has done mm-hmm. some truly awful things and some amazing things, and you know so has every religion, um, essentially, and and every belief system. Um, and it'd be really interesting to kind of kind of hear hear how you think we have almost shoehorned atheism into into this kind of that there is no God like this definitive um, r- rather than this kind of um, almost um, God might be there, but I don't want anything to do with him. I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to be godless or, or whatever kind of language you want to use. How do you, how do you see this kind of shift and change throughout history? Um, yeah. That'd be really fascinating to hear.
1: Well, I mean, part of this is just the way that words kind of change and, 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 and shift and on its own. That doesn't, that doesn't mean very much. Um, the word atheist, as said, coined by the ancient Greeks. Um, of course, the early Christians were accused of being atheists because they denied the the, the pagan gods. Um, but it then kind of falls out of use, um, and it's rediscovered during the during the Renaissance. And it's at that point that it's translated out of uh, you know, out of Greek into Latin, and then into all the major European languages very quickly. And it catches on really fast. Um, yeah, by by the I think it's first coined in Latin in 1501 and you know within half a century it's in every language within another half a century it's it's all over the place everybody's using Um, you know you can you've been on the databases now you can track the the frequency of the word spread and it it catches on really fast Um, and it's used always as a term of abuse Um, you know either people most of the time people are accusing others of being atheists Um, and it's a pretty elastic term it's it's sometimes been compared to the way that we use the word fascist today um, in the sense that it's 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 not completely without meaning um, but it's often just a kind of generalized insult um, rather than something with a really precise Set of, of, of labels attached to it. Um, you also get some people starting to, and I mean, this, this is a, a less well known part of the story, but I think it's important, um, starting to accuse themselves of, and, 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 and worry that they can see atheism or something that they call atheism within themselves. And that may mean kind of full on, I'm not certain that I believe that there's a God. But it can equally mean doubts of a more specific, more doctrinally tight, but nevertheless equally world-shaking kind of the, maybe I believe that there's a God, but maybe I don't believe that um, there's an immortal soul, and therefore that when we die, we just die. Or maybe I don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, if you're a Protestant, that's or if you're a Catholic, maybe I don't believe that the the mass um, is actually the, 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 the consecrated host is actually Christ's body and blood. Um, you know these these kind of key kind of second order issues of, 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 of belief can be where doubt um, comes to comes to rest. And because those are the points where it really touches people's lives. Um, you know, do I believe that this book I'm holding is the word of God or not? Um, do I believe that, you know, my father or mother who's dying, um, is just going to turn into a piece of meat or that their soul is, 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 going to, you know, these, these things, <laughs> these things really matter. You know, they, that's, that's what turns these from abstract questions into, into life and death ones. Um, you do then, you know, later on get the this term atheist being picked up by a few people beginning to identify with it, but it's still seen as such a boo word, um, and and is, is so kind of stereotyped as a, as a negative that it's in, in the nineteenth century you you get some of those in in sort of scientific circles. And, I mean, there's a whole interesting question about the relationship, the historic relationship between the words scientist and atheist, which were seen as as, as uncomfortably similar. Um, that this term agnostic gets coined in instead, um, and I mean that's that's a, a a really helpful and meaningful distinction, and it's a good precise use of language, and that's that's nice. But we need to recognise that they're the historic set of meanings which are much much broader and more um more inclusive and i think maybe more useful than the the current precision of the the, the terms that we that we've yeah
0: yeah for sure i think this is um this is really helpful so i've um i've when I first kind of realized that I didn't believe in God anymore, um, went through this kind of horror phase of, does that mean that I'm an atheist, that I don't think there's a God? Mm -hmm. And then quickly kind of came across other people that kind of talked about... um, soft atheism or agnostic athe- atheism which is almost like I'm, I'm not convinced there is a god rather than i'm convinced there isn't no a mm-hmm. god this sort of distinction yeah. and and you you can definitely see the two sides of the debate you can see a lot of um atheists and christians saying atheism is is the reality that you're convinced there isn't no a god and you can see christians and atheists agreeing that actually um people just aren't convinced there is a god rather than be, rather than being convinced there is no god so there's those two there's two distinctions. And I, I just still think that we're working this out, which is really bizarre. Like we're still in this in this stage where these words that we use on a day-to-day basis to describe the fundamental belief systems we have have multiple meanings. And it's almost like this is really, really tricky balance of kind of going, well, this is this is what I believe. And almost like you've got to then kind of present like a 10-point document to to make sure that your definition matches their definition. If they, if they kind of correlate, then that's great. We're, we're all okay. Um, and it's just a strange one.
1: Um, well, one one of the people who I became very taken with during the the reading I was doing for this for this project, and you know, he is one of those authors who um, just kind of sucks people in, um, is Michel de Montaigne, the the, the French um, philosopher and essayist. I mean, really the guy who invents the essay as a literary form in the in the in the 16th century. Um, and Montaigne was a Catholic. And I, I think his his Catholicism is, is deep and sincere, but it's of a of, it's of a very strange kind. Um, he had he'd read a lot of skeptical philosophy um, you know, and, and was had really convinced himself of the the base. You know, skepticism is a philosophical school which which essentially says that that knowledge of anything is impossible um uh and and so he kind of swallows this this idea and then tries to work out you know how do you how do you live in a world in which it's impossible to know anything um and that is kind of the human condition isn't it um and he he finds a a, a way that makes sense to him that says well in that case um catholic christianity specifically catholic christianity is the the only coherent response um, not everybody who's followed him in a skeptical philosophy has agreed with him on on, on 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 that of course but i think one of the many useful things that that he says is it's it's not you know don't listen to what people say about their beliefs don't even listen to what they they tell themselves about their beliefs um look at how they actually live that will tell you what their their beliefs their beliefs are you know he he has this this line that um um, many people do not believe what they believe um you know that or they may not even believe what they believe that they believe um, and you know you you're, you're very quickly in a in a, in a hole of mirrors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to profess a certain a certain faith, but if that uh, a set of doctrines, and this applies equally to a to a theistic or an atheistic philosophy or any of the other variations th- these sorts of sets of doctrines will invariably have some implications for how you how you actually live your life. Um, and most of us are not terribly good at following through on those implications. And I think that's a problem shared by believers and unbelievers alike. So that, that seems to me a a, a useful way of, of, of muddying this. Um, it's not fundamentally about the the doctrines that you profess, um, but what you do at that
0: I want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting when belief dies. This will always be an advertisement-free podcast, and for that reason, I hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family. Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links. And thank you for supporting the show. Right, let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think this is um this is an, an area that I've come to time and time again. It's this um I think the kind of way that i've expressed it before in the podcast is is almost that your your um your bank account will say more about your heart than your mouth will um because we'll see where you're actually putting your your assets your wealth um as we would deem it if if that's going to say you know are you giving anything to charity something to charity are you spending most of it on mcdonald's like what what, what are you doing with your money um will tell you so much more about you as a person and, and what you actually class as valuable than anything you say or read um and that's really challenging I mean, I think I think the thing about this is is this this fascinating almost idea that there is this this universal human narrative where we we are consistently holding things in tension and trying to work out, um, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Can we get at truth? Can we get at knowledge? Can we actually know for certain that these? Um, events took place or this book i'm holding is correct or that um you know my agnosticism is actually even warranted or is it just something that i want to even if i'm not aware of it but subconsciously i just want to doubt like there's so many layers that you that you can get into it's actually quite scary i mean do you this is this is a massive question probably going quite off off tangent but it'd be interesting to kind of get your thoughts like do you do you think that this is going to rectify in in in, in the future kind of given your kind of like historic understanding if you can kind of forecast like where, where do you think this is going any, any ideas Oh well, uh, I never ask your
1: story to predict the future um, <laughs> because we're, we're 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 probably worse at it than anybody else. But too late, you already did. So um, okay, I need to I need to step back a bit to kind of set the trajectory of where I where I think we we are because that's a big question. Um, I think the reason we got that we've we've got to this place of of the the the, the the sort of dominant secular feeling of the of the age that we're in. I think it's it's not about um philosophy in the kind of truth and falsehood sense. I think it's about ethics in the in the good and evil sense. Um, yeah you know, I, 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 the, the, the story that i try to tell is one where you've got kind of some underlying emotional rationales for doubt and i i cluster these together under anger and anxiety um and anger is kind of the obvious one because religious people and institutions do a lot of things to get angry about um sometimes justifiably sometimes not um you know because being told what to do even when you should be told what to do isn't is, is, is not not always popular um, and so you've got this sort of long-standing common of, of, of pushing back against them and of course you push back against the, the church and say who are you to tell me what to do their response is well we are God's representatives on earth and so kind of you know, but, but, you know within a couple of minutes God you know this, this God who's being invoked is brought into the brought into the quarrel um, but you, when you have got as as you you've had a lot over the past number of centuries, churches that are claiming this kind of moral authority, but are, are well, let's say, not really living it out all that well, um, you know, which which don't seem to be to be living up to the moral standards that they themselves are are professing, then that. Really profoundly and fundamentally undermines them. so I think that, that the loss of moral authority in the face of this this this, this kind of anger um, has been one of the really kind of deep stories of of over these over these past few centuries, and that's one that's still going on obviously but, um, equally on the on the anxiety side. I think you know a lot of that. The, you know the the response to these sort of gnawing uncertainties. You know how can I really be sure that this 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 book is the word of God? How can I be sure that my parents' souls are are, 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 are still alive? Um, leads to you know trying to 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 find firm ground on which to stand to to work out you know what. What what are the things that I can be that I can be really sure of, um, and especially within a Christian context, the things that people find when all else fails that they they can be really sure of are are, are, are ethics, or the moral teachings. You know, Christianity does keep coming back. To you know, Christians will disagree about absolutely anything, as you know, um, but the the one thing that they do all we do all keep coming back to is the the figure of Jesus of Nazareth. And you know there's a reason why there's nothing about his moral teaching in any of the Christian creeds and that's because that's the uncontroversial bit. That's the bit that nobody ever needed to define and nail down because they all agree on it. Um, And so you have this this phenomenon in which you've got an accelerating and increasingly sharp moral critique of the churches being announced in the name of and in the name of the ethics of jesus and so this sort of distinction between those two sides of the, of, of the story um so that even by the you know in the early 20th century or you know late 19th early 20th century you have you've got lots of people who and it, it becomes almost a, a, a trope a a cliche of of atheism in that period that people will will go out of their way to say you know jesus was the greatest moral teacher that humanity's ever had but i don't believe he was the son of god um you know that, that his his status the status of, of Christian ethics. I think you have to call them Christian ethics. The sort of distinction between Christian ethics and Jesus ethics is, is kind of collapses when you push it. Um, becomes absolutely central to the way that that Western society is thinking of itself, and it's using that to distance itself from the formal structures of religion. Um, and obviously, that that's an unstable process. You can't kind of just separate these two things out, uh, you know, eventually you, you pull them further and further apart and the, the, the rubber band's going to snap. Um, and I think the, the event which really makes it snap is the Second World War, and in particular, the Holocaust and the response to that, which is this kind of enormous moral shock. It's you know, the defining moral event of the, of, of the modern times. And it means that we collectively decide that actually, no, we're not going to base our, our agreed moral narrative, the ethics that we share as a society. We're not going to base it on the Christian story anymore. We're going to base it on notions of human rights um, and and so forth. And fundamentally, we're going to base it on the principle that we know, we we may not know precisely what goodness is but we know what evil is and it's it's it wears a swastika on its armband um you know we, we we come to define ourselves with with reference to to the nazis and to hitler as as our kind of ultimate moral um moral standpoint um you know there was a time when if somebody was Actively rude about Jesus within in public discourse, then they would they would have outed themselves as a monster. You know, I mean, you might say he's not the son of God, but to say that you know to actually criticize his his, his morality, you know, okay, Nietzsche would do that kind of thing, but then people think that Nietzsche is a scoundrel and a madman. Um, nowadays, I I don't think anybody's going to be that fast, that, but you know. In society more, more widely, he, you know, Jesus just isn't a figure who's got the same kind of, of moral valence. But you would be ill-advised to stand up in polite society and say something nice about the Nazis. Um, you know that's how we recognise a monster in in our era. Um, and you know if you're somebody like Ken Livingstone who's spent his life shocking people you know, he's discovered that there is one thing that you can't say um, that really does you know swiftly bring it bring it bring an end to a public career. So I think that's where we are and where we've been for for collectively for most of my life. Um, and I think it's coming to an end. I think everything that a lot of what we've seen around the world in the last five years and, and more suggests that this situation is is just uns stable, that we can't collectively base our ethics with reference to this one set of historical events. Um, the, the, the certainties that we're trying to cling on to, we're becoming kind of more frenetic about it. And that's not because I think finding our identity, you know, know, defining evil with reference to the Nazis is a particularly bad idea. You know, I mean, I think if you're going to choose any one human being or human movement as a a stand-in for absolute evil, then, you know, that's a pretty good suggestion. I've yet to see a better one. Um, But defining your entire moral structure by having something that tells us what evil is without knowing what goodness is. I think that's problematic. Um, It means that we've become a sort of culture that knows what we hate more than we know what we love. Um, I think the Christian culture that preceded that had become so corrupted in all the sort of way that the critiques I'm talking about correctly saw it, that it deserved what was coming to it. Um, what's replaced it is no more stable. Where that's going to go, I do not know. I know where I would like it to go. Um, I, I think we need a synthesis. I think we need to draw, to, to, to draw on the moral wisdom that we've learned over the past lifetime um you know that really really serious moral lessons that the that, that kind of modern age has taught us but we also need to underpin it with reference to, to some of the older stories but then i would say that wouldn't i <laughs>
0: No, it's really helpful. I think there are there are so many things I want to pick up there. Um, I think just kind of um, very very briefly, it, it, again, it's this it's this idea of this this human narrative, this this human story that we're all part of, and it's almost like Christianity. Um, I don't know. It's it's almost like we felt we had to make Christianity into this worldwide movement that has, um, you know especially kind of, you know, 400, 500 years ago, the, the, the ability to really kind of dictate what you can and can't say in any sort of public setting. Um, and actually, when we look at it now, we can see much more of an individualistic Christianity where somebody is wanting to engage with what they believe to be the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. And they want to be, be able to read read their Bible and to engage with this person and to have this prayer life and have this connection, which I think is a... a like my listeners won't like this, but I think that's a beautiful thing. If someone has that desire to want to have that relationship, that's fantastic. Go for it. Like I don't see a problem with that. Um, I think a lot of the, the the kind of atheists would then turn around and say, um, you know, Christianity is is wrong and it's evil and it's going to cause us problems. I, I would have some hesitancy around that as well. I think that's not that's not the best way of viewing it. Um, but what I find really interesting is this idea that that there is a, a a human level and almost a societal level, and when we try and mix the two. We get a we get a distortion very 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 quickly, um, and you, you're kind of talking about this idea of kind of like you know if you want like the 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 definitive idea of evil you've got the the Nazis which I agree absolutely horrific, um, the Holocaust and stuff and then you've also got you know like the um, famous book by um, Alexander um or however you pronounce his surname I always get it wrong but um, you know the Gulag Archipelago this sort of horrific horrific atrocity you know far Technically far more people died there than they did ever ever did in the concentration camps But you know, he was a Christian Experiencing this and he still saw this kind of um, this really interesting Idea, which he he mentions a few times in his book I think the famous quote is I'm gonna butcher it now So it's definitely just me trying to say it But it's this um this idea that the line between good and evil resides within every human heart is this is idea that actually when you come down to the basis like we are all capable of horror and glory and it's a really interesting sort of scale that he kind of he, he almost explores within his book in, in just the most like it's the most horrific book and the most weirdly beautiful book that I've ever read of his obviously it's, it's five books kind of combined these days mm. um but it's just this yeah it's just it, anyway I would advise everyone absolutely everybody to go and read it or, or listen to it I think they just released a uh, uh an an audio version where his grandson is actually reading it so it's really it's really intimate which is which is beautiful um anyway putting that aside I think there's this there's this, there's this idea that essentially humanity, when we come together and we kind of create narrative and meaning and structure, um, w- without that being grounded on something that we can all agree and adhere to, we're almost like we're on an iceberg just floating away from the from the North Pole, right? When you actually need to have something that's going, well, this is actually rooted to something that we can all stand around rather than just seeing where we go. Um, and, and you just see us adrift. And I, I think we are adrift. I think, you know, especially with... You know, the last couple of years, we've seen some absolutely massive things happening, like the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, the coronavirus. Like these are catastrophic events that have taken place, um, highlighting you know some absolutely massive areas. Like you know, um, Me Too and and Black Lives Matter are really phenomenally big things that we need to address. COVID mm-hmm. came out of the blue. We still don't know where it's going to go, and and we are all searching for this this purpose and meaning. It's just um yeah, it's a really long monologue, but it's just a really interesting position.
1: I, I mean it it is I also think that's just kind of that that's what human history does you know it never sits still um and the fact that you know you and I and many of the of the, of the people listening have lived in a, a a surprisingly stable and and peaceful and predictable world for 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 much of our lives has i think Kind of lulled us into thinking that you know that's how things should be and are likely to to, to, to carry on um but of course you know stuff happens and, and and the world the world changes and it changes often kind of suddenly, in these sort of weird and, and 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 lurching ways you know i mean lenin has this this line that there are there are decades when nothing happens and then there's weeks when decades happen um, you know, I, I, I think over the last year we we've, <laughs> we've we've seen how that can how that can play out um, so yeah i mean I think we are adrift a, a on our on our Iceberg or our various icebergs. Um, I think we kind of always have been, and the fact that we we, we were we were in still water for a while kind of uh, was um, may may have have lulled us. Where where I, I do differ from some of the readings of, of our of our modern situation. You know you you'll see this from some more conservative critics of a particular Catholic scholar I'm thinking of who, who pushes this line, um, who say that you know this, we, we've become this this kind of shattered kaleidoscopic society in which we've become so individualistic that we're herring off in every different direction. Um, and there's nothing to hold us together anymore. There's no coherent shared um, narrative or or understanding. And I just don't think that's true. Um, I, I think, you know, social media produces or you know accentuates our our, our herd instinct um that we do move we do move together you know in cancel culture that people get fussed about doesn't work unless we can all agree on who to cancel um you know or or at least large chunks of us agree obviously obviously you can you can, you can split into to, to big opposing cats um, I don't see us shattering into into thousands of pieces. I see these these sorts of collective decisions emerging from the the way that we're that we're changing. Of course, for any of us as individuals, we're just hanging onto the coattails of this. Um and you know, some of us are trying to to kind of say, oh, of course I understand what's going on, but we're just being, you know you yeah, know flipped around like like leaves in the hurricane. Um yeah from the point of view of the leaves in the hurricane it's all it all seems totally chaotic but the wind's blowing us all in the same direction. Um I, you know in 10, 20 years time we'll be able to to look back at these various things and say, oh yeah, you know that that was a, a direction in which we were all going. Um and that turned out to be a turned out to be a dead end, or or, or you know something that, that 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 seemed kind of exciting for a moment, and then and then collapsed. Trying to predict which one of them is going to be which from from now is a is a fool's game. One of the things that bugs me about a lot of the way that that theorists of secularism talk is that they're essentially talking about the future. They're trying to say that there's something inevitable about the historical process they're describing. Um, and I just don't think historical processes work that way. They don't have inevitability or, or directionality to them. Um, you can sometimes peer a little bit ahead of you and see what's, what's going on, but that's why I'm, I'm content talking about what I think should happen rather than, 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 than what I think will. Because at least I know I've got a chance of being right about one of those things.
0: Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I kind of guess just to kind of push this idea of truth and and, and knowledge a little bit more, I think that'd be really interesting. to Kind of get your take on this. Is um, do you, do you think it's possible to? grasp truth and knowledge i know they're different things and feel free to tackle them in different mm-hmm. ways if you want to but i mean so a, a big a big thing for me and a lot of my listeners so I, I have christian and non-christian listeners um people kind of you know coming into christianity and leaving christianity it's all it's all fine that they're all, they're all very welcome um but i think it's really important to kind of um speak about this this and i can only reflect from my perspective in this conversation which is this idea that i i didn't want to leave christianity and it's almost like subconsciously something happened and then i could no longer believe it and from that place i'm sure. on this journey of discovery almost um and mm-hmm. this, it, it, is, it is around trying to work out what is true and what is real and what can i actually know and hold as these as these truths um and it'd be really interesting to kind of get your take on that especially as a historian and how people have sought after these things um yeah i don't know if you have any kind of reflections on that alec um i i'm not
1: sure if i've got some coherent reflections on it but i've certainly got some 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 thoughts, and I think it's a you describe that experience really compellingly, and there's there's lots of of parallels to it. I imagine that many of us know the sort of thing that you're that you're talking about. I mean, I'm, I'm, I I mean to talk about myself um, since you, you you framed it this way at the beginning. You know, as I said, I had this this sort of evangelical conversion experience when I was eighteen um and then what was it three four years after that i had it was a a a a, a similarly um sort of reorientating experience not quite on the on the on the same scale um when i started reading a little bit of biblical scholarship and and it just struck me that some of the things that I had been brought along to in that evangelical world I just i I, I couldn't do it um I was you know using my historian's head I was I was looking at and thought that's just that just doesn't work um, and it was a point at which you can see why the, the, the kind of saying, okay, that means the whole Christian thing doesn't make any sense would have been one rational coherent response to that. Um, for me, the, the, the rational coherent response at the time was to say, okay, in that case, this part of the, of the story doesn't work, but there are parts of the story that still seem profoundly to work for me on an, on an intellectual level, but also on a kind of intuitive and and, and, and and emotional level, and therefore what I need to do is to find a way of of integrating that um, of uh, you know to 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 use if you'll forgive me a biblical analogy, which was was much used in historical some of the historical stuff i've been looking at to talk about precisely this issue um you know if you discover that your house is built on sand um then you don't just kind of pull down the blinds and hope for the best um, but you you undertake some serious rebuilding you 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 dig it up you know you 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 get your spade out you and you start looking for some serious foundations on which on on, on which you can build it and that, may, that process is really disruptive. Um, and it, you, know, you, can, you end up tearing up the landscape. Um, and you may not find bedrock. You may just find sand the further down you keep digging. Um, but it seems to me a, a, a profoundly important all of which is to dodge the question that you asked: which is which is is how do you know that 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 something is is true? And I guess with my sort of Montaigne head on, the the the, the, the sceptical essayist, absolute certainty of truth, um, I don't think is is something that's that's available to us. Um, you know, the kinds of issues that we're talking about are not susceptible of mathematical types of proof, even if you think that's absolute truth, but let's not go there. But another Frenchman, my, my, my last Frenchman, um, Blaise Pascal, who's a mathematician, um, great 17th century philosopher, there's a much subtler thing that he can credit for, um, talks about the difference. Um, Between mathematical truth and intuitive truth, and mathematical truth is you know something that you can establish just from a priori reasoning. One is two. Um, As an example of intuitive truth, he he says the fact that you're awake now, that you know you're you know you're awake and that you're not dreaming which is a really interesting example, because his, his, his point is you can't prove it. It's impossible to prove that you're awake and not dreaming. We've all had the experience of dreams in which you think, am I dreaming? No, this is real. And only when you look back on it after, you say, but no, obviously. It, but you can't see it when you're, when you, when, when you're in the moment. Um, and Pascal's point is the fact that we can't prove that we're awake, doesn't show that you can't know anything it shows that our idea of proof is our idea of of what constitutes access to truth is impoverished so we need to recognize that that kind of the the deep intuitive knowledge by which we know that we're not dreaming is a, a a a real grasp on truth and so that the the kind of intuition with which we can look at whatever rationalizations we construct to justify the position we've reached if as well as all those things it feels profoundly real to us if it integrates the world if if it helps to to make sense all the way up and down of the 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 fragments of truth that we've spent our lives collect it, then I think that's as good as it gets in terms of, 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 of access to truth. Not that we're all going to reach the same truths that way, and the various systems that we've got, theological, philosophical, can come up with ways of, of explaining that fact. Um, but that's, that's the best I can do in terms of, 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 of access to truths that I think are genuinely compelling and that even if they're not fully shared, they are ones that we can share meaning.
0: Beautifully said. That was, um, yeah, that was really helpful. I think and it's such an important piece to reflect upon as well. Um, how we, how we, how we grasp at things and what we're trying to grasp at, and uh, and where we're trying to get. Like, what, what, do we, what do we need to get to to feel content? It's, um, it's just such an interesting journey, and that's why I'm really enjoying this kind of these these conversations and this journey. So, thank you for that. Um, like I kind of want to ask, like, if people want to dive more into this sort of kind of history of belief, um. And atheism, Christianity—how like would they, how would they kind of get involved with that? Have you got any books recommending any of your own work?
1: Um, well, I guess I, I, I should say um, there's you know, my book that came out in 2019, which is called Unbelievers. Um, uh, the subtitle is an, is an emotional history of doubt. Um, so yep, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody should go out and buy ten copies of that and give it to everybody you meet. <laughs> um, but. but you know once once you have learned and 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 memorized that um I, I, I a couple of other books that i've found okay i'll mention i'll mention four other other books of different kinds um two historical ones that that, that have come out relatively recently um one by uh, a, a histor- american historian of ideas um uh named ethan shagan um and it's called the birth of modern belief uh and his point is that what we mean by belief is something that's changed radically over the past 500 years or so um he, he kind of starts by saying you know when somebody says i believe in god no we never turn around and say what do you mean believe um and you know to believe in God, to believe God, to believe in a God, you know these things don't mean don't mean exactly the same thing. And I think he's he's really interesting in sort of teasing out some of those distinctions. It's a great book. Um, there's the other historical work I'd I'd recommend is by a guy called Dominic Erdesign, um, which is e r d o z a i n um uh, the, the book is called the soul of doubt um and he's sort of telling a, a story that's in some ways similar to the one that, that that i am about um how the christianity has generated a moral critique of itself um and he sort of traces that story from the the 16th to the 19th century and is is suggesting that a lot of the people who we've thought of as critics of religion are actually um you know themselves deeply religious figures who are who are, who, are, who are trying to to bring Christianity or in some cases Judaism to up to where they think it should be um I, you know he's 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 provocative Um, and and as you go through it you think you know who is the next atheist who suddenly could be unmasked as actually not an atheist at all Um, and yeah and I think it's it's really compelling okay so that's a couple of historians two other um, books that I think might be useful on this one written by an atheist one written by a Christian um the the um and and both of them are are well known the 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 atheist is john gray who i've mentioned a couple of times um who who did this book what two three years ago now called seven types of atheism um which is is largely you know he's a a very polemical combative writer is largely a critique of what he sees as as soggy and inadequate forms of atheism he himself is a is a particularly kind of a crunchy and hard-bitten atheist and is 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 merciless to some of the, the sort of weak minded atheisms that he sees he sees out there. Um, I mean Christianity itself I think he sees is almost beneath his dignity to critique. It's so obviously false. Um, and I, I I I think it's a, it's it's a I, I think some of his insights are really compelling. It's a very sort of stretching um, book. Then on the other side, I'm, I'm the last one I'll mention is Francis Spafford's book, Unapologetic, um, that you may have come across, or some of your listeners may have done, um, which is, was really the book that gave me the, the courage to think, yeah, okay, it, it makes sense to talk about the history of religion in terms of emotions. Um, you know, what he's trying to do there is to construct an, an explanation of why it is that christianity seems to him as a kind of modern anglican um to make emotional sense and to be true in the the kind of broader more intuitive more humane senses that i was that i was talking about not uh to sort of get into the kind of standard arguments for the existence of God. He's deliberately avoiding that sort of stuff. But to say why it is that it feels true and why that feeling deserves to be taken seriously
0: fantastic they sound like such good resources so thank you for that i will um add them all to my to my uh to my reading list which is getting ever longer but um yeah i definitely will <laughs> yeah sorry about that no it's good we'll questions like that <laughs> yeah yeah well i think that's that's, that's part of this isn't it is working out where to go next and follow things through and i think yeah. it's you know important that if something grabs your attention especially this is the listener if something grabs your attention jump in like don't be scared mm-hmm. about it being a christian book or an atheist book like just get involved and see, and see where your mind goes with these things it's it's great. Um, okay, Alec, and if people want to kind of follow your work and follow you and stuff, I don't know if you really have a, a social media presence. I couldn't find you on Twitter for I, instance. I, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't,
1: I, I, I don't do social media because, you know, I, I have this kind of only 24 hours of my day problem. Um, uh, I guess you'll see myself most regularly at Gresham College where I, 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 I do a series of lectures each year um, and, and other stuff. Coming out. I mean, my own work is going in a slightly different direction now. I'm working on the the history of, of, of Christian missions. Um, that's what what some of my what some of my new research is 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 on. Um, so yeah, there's 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 stuff coming out. The I I have a, an unusual name, um, a, 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 an unusual surname, which makes it reasonably easy to find me on the internet. So if anybody really wants to find out what I'm up to, they can.
0: Yeah, they can indeed i'll I'll link some of the videos that i found of you on youtube that are just really i think really interesting so yeah um listener you'll see all, all the links to everything we've spoken about in the description um alec it's been so good talking to you thank you so much
1: i've really enjoyed it thank you very much sam
0: i hope you enjoyed this week's episode to leave any comments or thoughts you can head over to youtube and to follow us on social media Or to see where else we are online hit the link in the description thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality i'll catch you here at the same time next week enjoy the journey